So today, I want to continue what we're calling the uh, the counter or the the other side, uh, the counter arguments about the actual experiences of NDEs. And so, I want to go through stage five, stage six, and stage seven. Tunnel vision is one of the most well-known phenomena that's associated with near-death experiences. The reason why it is, is because it's quite popular. There are, I don't know, tons and tons of theories and counter-theories with regards to its validity, with regards to its authenticity. Let's talk about eye deterioration. Eye deterioration occurs during the the shutting down of the brain. And it's one hypothesis that is, I would say, most commonly cited. There are also scientists who speculate that tunnel vision originates from what they call a, a dim birth memory. When the person passes through the birth canal. I'll tell you something very interesting as well. The famous Psalm 23, where King David talks about the valley of the shadow of death, he is also referring to the birth canal. So there's a, a correlation between the birth canal and the the NDE. The next progressive phase in a near-death encounter is what we called the seeing of light entities. We we spoke about them as uh, family or angels or even God. And so to continue this metaphor of birth that we just spoke about, this stage of what we'll call seeing the light would be parallel to the next stage of birth, the stage that follows the journey through the birth canal. After an infant passes through the the dark birth canal, there's an abundance of light. Like the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. Essentially, according to this hypothesis, the light entities are nothing more than birth memories of the sunlight or of the light of the fluorescent bulb at the time of being born. Today, as far as I could find, most researchers dismiss this theory. And there's a number of reasons why. First of all, we know that the eyesight of a newly born child is too undeveloped if there is even any eyesight at all. So to visually register the experience in the birth canal, probably not. Besides, infants are usually born with their heads pressed down on the canal and their eyes are tightly closed. Rarely is a child born looking forward with their eyes open. What I would say is more is that according to this hypothesis, those who were born via cesarean section would not experience this vision during an NDE. As they they wouldn't have had that primal tunnel and light experience. But this doesn't seem to be the case 
when we compare it to the experiences of people who have had near-death experiences. Also, I'll mention that birth can hardly be considered a peaceful experience. Being pulled or, or pushed into a cold, unfamiliar world from the warm security of the womb doesn't register as a pleasant experience. And most people who report NDEs will most often talk about them as being peaceful and pleasant. So those two experiences are not similar. I'll mention also that there are others who say that the sensation of passing through a dark tunnel can be explained by cerebral oxygen deprivation. Some of the researchers say that the mixture of neural activation and inhibition produces patterns in the cortex of the brain that due to what is called I don't remember what it's called. Sorry. Um, but what 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 happens is it materializes as tunnel-like images in the visual field. The the trouble with this we'll call uh, uh, you know the cerebral oxygen deprivation is that there are many people who have experienced tunnel vision in a near-death encounter and they haven't suffered any oxygen loss. So oxygen deprivation is also used to explain the resurfacing of old memories. The problem is that oxygen deprivation is known to cause dizziness, to cause fuzzy thinking, vagueness. So no one is going to have any uh, rematerializing of memories of near-death experiences when there's fuzzy thinking and vagueness. There's also various chemical conditions that explain the encountering of loved ones during a near-death experience. When the brain becomes overloaded and is in a disarray, it will release old memories or it will project internally sourced dreams. So it could be just hypothesis that meeting loved ones occurs when the brain reproduces a memory of a loved one. So while perceiving the creator, um, angels, uh, old mentors, or maybe some kind of famous figure, the mind is trying to cling to its most secure and fantastic dreams, or maybe images that are most secure in a time of devastating crisis, which would make sense. So intellectually, I would say that this theory of, of clinging to positive memories may resonate, but as far as I could find in the research, there are researchers that have testified that from all the children who have reported experiencing near-death experiences, 
Not one of them saw their mother or their father during the experience unless that parent was no longer alive. So what I would say to that is that it shows that the the idea of hanging on to our fondest memories in order to help alleviate a life-threatening situation cannot be the source of the memory. I think also more shocking is the fact that some people see relatives that they didn't even know and could not have known they existed, like a brother or a sister or an uncle or an aunt who were born and died long before them and never spoken of. That is something that is even more common. Alessandra, what's your question? You just said it yourself. Sometimes people see relatives that are in our environment, but we haven't met while alive. So we can't have a positive memory of them. Right. So there's no way. Now, about the, the exactly, but now I'm I'm just going to the other side. Assuming that while we sleep, as Chava said, you know, we're we're close to a state of death, right? right. And and we know that our souls do but separate. Sorry to interrupt you, but according to the Talmud, it's only one sixtieth. I know it's a state of death, but one sixtieth is a, a very minute state of death. Very okay. very minute. So. Where NDEs are, I don't have a, I never saw a classification of, uh, you 59. Know, yeah, I, I, I don't know what that classification is, but it's it's far greater than the 160th the Talmud is referring to when someone sleeps. Fair enough. But could it be said that our souls, I mean, that's why when we wake up, we say, well, that you, you know, thank you for returning my soul. Yes. And for granting me to have returned my soul. So our souls do vogue in different planes, let's say, while we sleep. So could it be that one of those souls that are voguing during the, the, the envelope, the garment sleeping, could meet someone who is in an NDE or there, there's still a separation We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex, to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. I don't know, but what I would say, just my educated guess, is that maybe sleep could be in a very small way a preparation for the easiness and pleasantness of the NDD. Because there is a sleep-like state that exists there. So that that correlation would make sense. I would think especially in lucid dreaming, like when you're aware of your dreaming, that's like a next step. You know, and according to some who, you know, teach out-of-body experiences that there are all of these different levels and planes that we have access to, not necessarily with an NDE. So yes, things I've learned. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that would make sense. But also, look, there has to be a familiarity. Otherwise, it's not going to be pleasant. If it's something that is brand new, it's usually shocking, especially if it comes from nowhere. So we have to say that if it's people reporting that it's a pleasant experience, there must be something familiar about it. So, Rabbi, do you think that, uh, yeah, I, I understand that, but do you think it's also people's general belief system, like the universe is a safe place versus it's not? So. I wonder if our belief system also has something to do with how we experience oh, that. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, there. I think about this all the time, and I think we'll get into this as we go through other parts of the afterlife. But that transition is such an important transition. Mm-hmm. And the more we are connected to this world, the harder it's going to be to move. Right? Think about just moving houses. If you have a lot of stuff, it's much harder than if you live lightly. Right. So if we if we can get some experiences while we're still hanging out here, that helps us moving. I would I would think so, right? Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Wow. Rabbi, I, I I I'm not sure it's an experience to share or a question I'm asking. Not quite sure what it is, but I don't know if anybody has experienced that as well, but you know, normally you fall asleep, you fall asleep. And then I've had in the past couple of years, times where I was about to fall asleep, where I had a moment of fear of letting go. It, 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 it was not, not a, you know, flight or flee kind of uh fight or, 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 or flee kind of moment, but where my, it felt like my my something was disconnecting in a way that was much deeper than falling asleep. Has anybody else experienced that? Alessandra, are you talking about kind of that stage? I think it's called the hypnagogic state, where it just before you're you're kind of asleep, but you're aware of what's going on that you're in the room, but you're kind of I th- I think you're immobilized. I think you're paralyzed, but you have that awareness. But there's this, yeah. Where am I? <laughs> okay, so thank I, you. Yeah, I've definitely had that, not for a while, but it is something that is kind of been, I think, acknowledged in that that realm of of sleep that there is that state. And it's kind it, of it's a split second of am I letting go or not? It's it's very interesting. Thank you for yeah. validating that. Yeah, sometimes it's more than a split second in my experience, but yeah, it's okay. it's just that transition, I believe, is what I've learned. So thank you. The transition it's... of counting sheep. <laughs> I never counted that them. Say, that you say that, Alessandra, because I have that in fact I've been having it <clears throat> a lot lately. It's kind of the opposite, meaning I'll be I'll be co- coming. Thank you, darling. I'll be coming out of sleep. And, and because as you all know, I've, I've been going through, you know, a grieving process. And so I, when I'm coming out of sleep, there's a split second where I, I'm, I'm just totally at peace. And then part of my consciousness feels the pain of waking reality that I'm about to enter into. And it's in that weird place where I go from just, you know, ah, so peaceful to like, oh yeah, my heart. That's really interesting. You bring that up. Thank you. Yeah, there's a conversation amongst the researchers about the the REM, right? The REM sleep, that that is the key. And that is kind of, um, you know, not the deep, not, it's not the deepest sleep. The, the, the rejuvenating sleep is not the deepest sleep. So uh, this is fascinating. We have to do a, a discussion just on sleep and the process of sleep and that transition. Yeah. Can I ask a question too? Please. I was um, I was listening to you say that people that cling more to this world, it's harder for them to change into the next when they die. Right. Correct. 
So could I'm it be generalizing. Having, yeah, exactly. I mean, just general, generally speaking, do you think it could be the opposite uh, for people that are like more connected to the spiritual world that they find it sometimes hard to live in the constructs of this world? Yes, I would say so. I, I mean, it again, generally speaking, yes. Thank Which is you. why there are more reasons to now again. And I'll just add that we don't live in this world for the next world. We live in this world for this world, to make this world the best place that it could be. That's why if we were supposed to live in this world to prepare ourselves for the next world, then we would live in the next world. We're here for a purpose, so we have to be here first. That said, we don't have to take on all the baggage of this world. We can be within this world and live above it. That's the Kabbalistic way. And I think especially today, this generation, I think it's something that we have to learn. I don't know. I didn't live in previous generations. I'm just saying, and I'm sure there were other generations that were similar to ours, but definitely this is a lesson that our generation, generally speaking, needs to learn how to live within this world, but stay above it. And not to get caught up in the nuances and in the and the rolling in the dirt like pigs. I'll just stop at that. I have more to say, but I won't say it. Thank you, Rabbi Bernat. I would be open to hearing what else you have to say, but if you're going to stop, yeah. then that's okay. Thank you, Rabbi Bernat. Thank you. I want to go to the next stage. In stage eight. We talked about ethereal light entities. Whether they were previously deceased relatives bathed in light uh, or angelic figures for that matter, we we established stage eight as kind of a, a life review. Now, there are a number of logical methods that are available to explain this phenomenon. The, the neurophysiological explanation is like this. Through the gradual depletion of oxygen, which occurs near death, minor seizures of the temporal lobes may occur. And as a result, old memories may start to materialize. Actually, probing the temporal cortex and stimulating it with a mild electric shock brings to consciousness previously lost or hidden memories. I have a question about that. Yes. Um, memories, I f- seems to me that memories um, aren't just pictures because we can have the picture memories of what happened in our lives, but then we have um, emotional memory. Yes. And so I'm wondering about in that state, would would the emotional memories be released with the visual or just the known memories of life? And if they would, that may not be so pleasant. And um, I'm wondering if that would be something that would they would come at the same time. You have a memory of your dog. Ah, that's my beautiful dog I had. But then you have another memory, and it's it is not inviting at all. So I'm wondering if the, these people, if if the research shows that 
having these memories are also emotional memories, which really can't be defined um, to a pinpoint. So I, I haven't seen anything in the research, but what I will say is within the Kabbalistic perspective, the difference between life and death is the ability to control the memories, the emotional memories. So, for example, right now, if you have a negative thought, you just dismiss it. Imagine all the negative thoughts you had in a day or all the difficult things that you had to re-experience because they resurfaced. You couldn't change that. You couldn't stop it. You had to just live through it. That is what Kabbalah calls hell. Or one of the versions of hell. There's there's a few versions, but that's what Kabbalah calls hell. You have to relive that those emotional moments, and you can't do anything about it. You can't stop them from happening. And those emotional moments seems they don't have to be linked to an intellectual or a picture kind of a memory. That's right. That's right. Especially to somebody who is more emotional, who is more uh, kinesthetic, who is a more feeling type person, they're going to have feeling memories. So that can exist yes. in that state of when somebody is dying or has died near death. And it's very painful for, for, for the person because often those memories are not, are not beautiful, wonderful butterfly memories. (laughs) Puppies, butterflies. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you something interesting. Also, the, I was looking at this research in the 1950s and I forget his name, there was a Canadian surgeon that passed um, a mild electric current through the electrodes connected to certain regions of the visual cortex. And the patients that were experiencing these mild electric currents began to remember events and occurrences of the past in detail and they said it was as if they were reliving those events with all their sights with all their sounds with all their smells the patients said they they even smelled what they were reliving and once the current was shut off the induced memory was instantaneously lost. But every time that region was once again stimulated, the entire memory came back. And interestingly, it did not continue from where it left off, but it started all over again. I would say It was as if there was a place in the brain that records incidences as they occur. And this was, I would say, not like Patricia was saying, maybe the emotional response, but the experiential response. A full reenactment of a previously lived experience in an experiential way. Now, I would say that as sensible as this theory may seem, to me, there are some loose ends that don't add up. There are researchers who contend that the images that are conjured up through seizures are generally not known to be arranged in a chronological order. And they don't appear in the mind as in the order of life. 
On the other hand, for those who experienced these images during their NDE, during the near-death experience, or their near-death encounter, the order of the events were always chronological. So beyond the physiological, there's also psychological reasons that we could say to explain this phenomenon. One, one theory is that in order to help the conscious mind escape the horrible reality of death, the mind automatically reverts to and revisits old childhood memories. Now, again, the issue that this explanation doesn't make clear is why the mind would produce images in the same order of it as they occurred. If it's a way to deal with the pain, why would being two years old resurface before you recall being three years old? I'm assuming that the preference should, should be the pleasantness of the memory and not the chronological sequence. That's just my thoughts. But I'm not 100% sure. Cheryl. Going back to the Canadian um, doctor with the electros, with the stimulation, and you said when he took it off, the people said they were still alive, right? These were alive people. Yes. They said yes. that they said that their memories went back to the beginning rather than ending whatever the story or sequence of the story is. How many of us have ever been in a dream state and all of a sudden you have to go to the bathroom or whatever at two, three in the morning and you're in the middle of a good dream and you can't wait to go back to see how that ends. And it doesn't, it's, it goes back to where you were, at least for me. So I don't get any resolve in that either. But again, that was just relating to the dream state versus what you were talking about the Canadian guy did. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's a good, that's a good analogy. I'm just kind of taking it in because that's it's a very good analogy, right? Because you're, 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 you you want to finish that dream, but there's no way to finish it. Then it's never, you're never going to know the end of it. As good as it was. But the yeah. fact that you can go back to that dream, the back at the same time, which I've had that experience also, to me is um, another fascinating aspect of how that could be possible. You wake up, I love that dream, what's going on, fall asleep, I'm right back to where it cut off in the first place. Wow. I've never had that experience, but that's amazing. It's bizarre. <laughs> it is, yeah. Wow. Rabbi, I had a, a question about, <clears throat> I just threw it in the chat, the, the about the purpose of this. I just named it the Great Remembering Event. <laughs> um, <Okay>. Trademark. <laughs> 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 so when, you know, when if we go back to our previous Kabbalah teachings and we talked about kind of the soul car wash, right? This kind of reckoning we have about the way we lived our lives. Um, I always, for some reason, only associated, you know, the, any, the suffering that I have caused others. It made sense to me why I would revisit that and understand what that felt like, kind of like the Eastern philosophies would call karma, just experiencing the pain that I might've caused people. But what I don't understand now is, are, are we saying that we also re-experience pain that others have caused us and how does that help purify our soul so without going into a lot of detail which i hope that we will go to in the future it's because we can't control the thoughts imagine the mind just wanders and there's nothing you can do about it remember this is our version of hell so we're experiencing these things because they're coming at us. And it could be, you don't even realize, 
They're coming at you every day, but your conscious mind is able to subdue the subconscious. So you don't even realize that they're, they're continuously happening. But imagine if the subconscious became the conscious and you couldn't do anything to stop it. doesn't sound good no no and that's what we call it. again we don't believe in eternal damnation it's hell is a cleansing process and this is part of the cleansing process that happens for no longer than one year after death how do you explain if that occurs and that's how people might experience things chronologically or going through the pain of what you might cause somebody where does growth come into that? Because let's say you start as a person here, and then when you're 50, when you're 60, the growth that you have as a human being, hopefully becoming you know, the best human being you could possibly be, doesn't that sort of out come to the yes. surface more than if you, you know, when you're five years old and you slap your sister? Yes. Accident purpose so that's so so according to kabbalah when you do what kabbalah calls teshuva which means you have made a complete change in your life those memories get deleted 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 so the the best thing we can do is during our lifetime make that change because they won't resurface later. But if you're, if a person passes from this world and they're still holding the grudge, let's say, or they're still holding on to something that is negative, that will be part of the cleansing process because the soul needs to be cleansed and needs to become pure again. So the best thing to do is go through the difficult process here because it's much less painful here than it will be in the next world. So is this, when you, when you talk about sadik, and we know that there are very few, so do those sadikim not have these bad experiences when they go through the death process? Correct. And there, and we also have the ability through our change and through what we do, we, our goal is to become what we call in, in, in Hasidus, the Benini, to be the intermediate, the person who struggles through all of life's experiences and overcomes them. Over, overcomes the animal. That's our job. That's, that's, that's a, a main part of our job in this world. Okay, I love that. Yes. Oh my God. You just said something and, and, and I'm still in shock right now. Did you just say Teshuva? Yes. In teshuva. Kabbalah, there's a concept of Teshuva. Yes. That makes it. Did you just say erase? Can you repeat this? Erases. Not only erases the past, I will go one step further. It turns the negative into virtues. What is teshuva? Teshuva is a process that we have to speak about. It's a process of accepting. This is the less than 30 second version of it, but we need to do more on it. It's accepting mm -hmm. responsibility mm -hmm. and making a, a firm decision that you won't do it again. It's change. It's that emotional and intellectual change. Is Not shifting the blame. Not saying it's someone else's fault. It's mm. your fault because minimum, at minimum, you're 50% part of the process. You were there. So if there was a conflict, you're at least 50% of the conflict. So accepting mm. that you were there and that is you. Whether someone did it to you, whether you couldn't, you were too young to, to, to be able to, to fight back or 
or, or whatever it is. You know, there, there are things that we have to heal that are much bigger than others. And, and there are some things that are really, really difficult to heal. And we have to acknowledge there are some things that are, people have in their lives that are really, really difficult to heal. Really mm-hmm. difficult. But what I'll say on a Kabbalistic level, if we are able to go through the process here in this world of forgiving and learning from it, it's going to save us a lot, a lot of challenge in the next world. Okay. Rabbi Bernath, could you repeat that last part you just said? If we, if we go through the process of forgiving in this world, when we go through the process of letting go in this world, we do the real spring cleaning, since spring is upon us, <laughs> the emotional spring cleaning, and we don't hold on to things. It's going to save us a lot of difficulty in the next world and in that cleansing process once the soul leaves this world. Okay, I want to hear some nuggets. I think, Cheryl, we're going to start with you today. Okay. Um, I've been a little preoccupied. We had landscapers here. It was so noisy, and I've got cleaning people here, but I took it all in. Um, I don't know. Um, I liked when you said the ability in life to control your memories. So if you can control your memories, that hopefully you would change the bad memories to good memories, and then you don't have to go through that again when you pass onto the next world. That's kind of what I took from that. And the last piece of what you're talking about, doing the emotional spring cleaning and making real change will make it easier. I want it to be easier. That year of hell sounds terrible. <clears throat> so I know it starts with me. Okay, I am going to pass this. Um, Patricia, I'd love to hear what you got out of this. Oh, boy. And welcome. Thank you. Um, first and foremost, I, I'm um, being here with uh, is very, it's very important and a great pleasure for me. Um, of course, because of who I am, I have a hundred more questions that relate to all of this, and. Um, I would love to discuss, especially some of the science questions that I have. And also, not just thank you to everybody, but um, Celeste, my wonderful daughter, on all levels, is beautiful on all levels, from the subtlest, subtle part of her to her big blonde hair. It's her birthday today, and I can't tell you, daughter, that my life would never, ever have been this kind of joy without you. And because of my daughter, the things that were said today have incredible importance because we have begun to review the process of our lives together. And I really love you. and. You are a terrific and amazing human being. And sometimes I'm not big on humans, but you <laughs> are the best. Happy birthday, Celeste. Happy birthday. Thank we you. would have known, we would have brought the cake. Happy birthday. Since my mom outed me, since my mom outed me. Thank you so much. I'm I'm 50. I'm 50 50. 50 years old today. So I wanted to, um, uh, what I learned from Rabbi Bernal is that. uh, Yeah, thank you. is, Is that it's an opportunity to 
think about uh, others instead of myself. So I just, I hope uh, my, my prayer today for everybody is may Hashem um, bless everyone in all their endeavors. Um, and for anyone who is grieving or going through any hard time, may, may Hashem make it ever apparent that you're not alone ever. And that there's always uh, people that are there to care and love. So thank you. Um, love you, mom. That's my nugget. Hey. Everything, all of it. Thank you, Rabbi <laughs> Bernath. Yes, thank you, Rabbi. Um, I kind of just inserted myself in the line there. So I'll pick no, somebody. No, that's, that's, <laughs> we, we want you to be inserted in the line. And 50 <laughs> is a very special number. The, the 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 Mishnah has a uh, um, for every age for every great age it says this is what this age is about and it mm-hmm. says about fifty it's about bina it's about truly being able to understand that that gives you the ability to to truly understand so Hashem should bless you that with everything that you that your everything that you uh, your quest. You have such a uh, a quest for knowledge and understanding that now that you're 50, that you should truly be able to understand. Let's do it. I'm ready. <laughs> you can pass it on. Oh, uh, and before I pass it on, I just want to say I'm going to throw my email in the chat. So if anybody wants to uh, send me a specific um how would I say that, Rabbi Bernath? Like a prayer or a blessing that I yes. could do for them? Yes. I would love, I would love, love, love to spend some time doing that. So I'm going to throw my email in there, and I'd like those to of, pass it. For those of you who don't know, our tradition is that on your birthday you bless, because you have a special power of blessing on your birthday. Um, how about Alana? Thank you and happy birthday. I love the mother-daughter exchange. That was priceless, really. Um, I mean, the whole near-death experience has never really spoken to me throughout all of these many, many weeks. But I always find a nugget anyway. And this time it was really the um, teshuva. And when you said that, you know, we have to take responsibility for whatever happens and you know accept blame even like 50 percent. so that always brings me back to like what are we here for what are we doing what's our purpose and I always find that there's something in the here and now um, that speaks to me so thank you very much um, so how about uh, Alessandra Thank you, Lana. Mazal tov, mazal tov, mazal tov. Uh, and thank you, Patricia, for sharing that because you connected me to my own mother uh, by saying what you said. And uh, I think it's time maybe I do that with her with a lot of uh, gentleness and, uh, and affection. Uh, because the last time she was here, the first today, she's... She was so nervous. She, it, it felt like she was walking on eggs. So at some point I stopped her and I said, okay, what's going on here? Mom, what happened? And she's like, oh, you know, we have history. And I said, yeah, we've had history, but I was hoping we don't have it anymore. And it turns out that part of it she still has, and maybe it's still connected to some of my behaviors. So you've, uh, other than saying wonderful, wonderful words to to Hava. You've given me a great gift today uh, and as well. And and I will uh, do the legwork uh, with my own mom. Uh, I'll, I'll be better. I'll try to be better uh, with my own mom as well. And, and it kind of connects me to what my nugget was, which is about choosing to go through being alive and through the being alive part of our journey consciously and and uh, not just going through the motions but and i don't mean by saying that i don't mean that we need to analyze everything we say everything she said everything he did everything i did it's not about that but being conscious of 
our thoughts, our speech, and our actions. So I always come back to that, Rabbi. So that's that's my take for today. Wonderful, wonderful class. And I will shut up and pass it on to Jill. Yes, a wonderful class today and um, just just perfect. And happy birthday, Chava. Um, so I think my nugget is, it's also around Teshuva and just thinking and, you know, when there's been a conflict that I might experience with someone, there's a lot of energy, like enticing energy to hold on to the, they were wrong, they were this, that, and, and I've been trying to work on how do I shift into that forgiveness and still experience a similar type of energy because there's something kind of it kind of pumps me up a bit it's maybe it's self-righteous it's like yes they were wrong I was right whatever but to to somehow try to shift that so that that energy is just changed so the forgiveness feels better or more satisfying or I'm not sure but I know it's something you know I've had an experience recently of that and trying to figure out how do I not make this the bad person mm-hmm. and and just to um forgive forgive uh, on all levels so it's really just about energy and and recognizing that I can get really attached to that um the the not the the less than uh, happy or positive energy. Not quite sure how to put it, but that's that's my convoluted nugget for today. Um, I'm going to pass it to Fami. Good morning. Uh, good morning, everyone. So Mazel Tov for Chava. So. I will go to the many things that I can comment, but I will go to the Teshuva thing, you know. So if some, anybody have some time, there's a video from the Rebbe on, on YouTube, and uh, a prisoner came to him. He did like many bad things, I don't know, maybe he killed people, who knows. So he told him, you know, how can I, I want to do the Teshuva, but I did so many bad things. What, what do I do now? Like, it's, it's impossible. And the Rebbe said, uh, you know, we should be like seasons, you know. You have winter, we have spring. So when you are in summer, you always forget what winter was. You are in summer now. So we, we should not hold back. And it's, it's, even for me, it's hard. But So we should, what happened to us, we should put it like like in a bag here, right? So and 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 it's it's it's, it's there, but it it does not hold you. So so when you do tishuva, I mean you you should not hold back to it's a new season basically. So a new season make you forget the old season. So summer make you forget. It can be so nice and warm. Can make you forget all the cold of the winter. This is how I feel about it. The video is a wonderful. It's on YouTube. It's two minutes video. Thank you. So I will pass to Shahin. Uh... You, you, you talked. So. Okay. Chaya, maybe. Thank you. Thank you, Sami. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you, Rabbi Bernat, for holding this class. And thank you, everyone, for uh, being so educational and motivational with everything that you shared during the class. Happy birthday, Chava. I heard one time uh, someone say that the day we're born is the day that the source of all creation, God, decided this world couldn't exist without you. So may your day be full of that energy. And uh, thank you. Um, for existing, I wanted to say that this uh, this 
this course today brought me back to the oneness of all that is. Because Jill, you actually inspired me when you said you're trying not to see other people as the bad guy. And also Rabbi Bernath, when you said we have to be responsible for our actions, we're always 50% part of it at least. And I don't know, it just brings me back to the oneness. Is there all is God, the Lord is one. So there is no other, the the bad guy or me or you. We are one and we are in we've been brought into this world together. Thank you. And MJ, please. MJ. Thank you. Um, happy birthday, Hava. <laughs> um, yes, you are the best. Um, uh, today, uh, my nugget is, is Teshuva. <laughs> when the moment you step into that, actually this, this sentence just really moved me a lot and touched me a lot. And and I just get I'm stuck there. Um, I love the way I think it's Fami said that it's like a new season. But what I found powerful, or what I found like uh, extraordinary, is to think that things are erased, things are well new, things don't remain. Things I mean a real one, I suppose, a real a real forgiveness. And to take responsibilities, uh, responsibility um, uh, for things. And I think uh, Teshuva 101 is a must. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I love this. Thank you so much uh, for the class. I don't know if there's someone else. Oh, Rabbi, what is your nugget? We can't hear you. Thank you. My nugget is that uh, you can plan an entire class, but the magic you can't plan. You spend the whole time planning this whole class, <laughs> then the magic happens with what's not planned. And that's a beautiful thing. You have to embrace the impossible, embrace the magic. Like can you repeat the Yiddish thing? Uh, God, people, you know, get, yeah. people plan and God lacht. Mensch, Mensch tracht and God lacht. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. I have a question, Rabbi, please, before we go. It was okay. something that um, Rabbi Hirschwitz said last week when you weren't here, and we thank you for having a fill-in. It wasn't this kind of class, but he did say something that I wasn't aware of, and I, I didn't really get the reason why, that you're supposed to tuck in your tzitzis when at a cemetery or a morgue. And then I wrote in parentheses because others don't have any, and they no, might be because, jealous. It's because the, the, those who have passed can see them, and they're jealous they can't do mitzvahs in this world. So you're, uh, you're making them jealous. Oh, not the people that are there, but no, the deceased people. The deceased people. Got it. Don't wanna, we don't want to flaunt mitzvahs in front of them that they can't do. And since they're in the world of truth, they know how important those mitzvahs are. I guess it was a question on my mind for a whole week, so thank you. Hey, okay. you're welcome. <laughs> Happy birthday, Chava, and to everyone Yay. else that uh, we won't be together, I think, next Thursday. We won't be together because of Passover, so I wish you a very, very happy Passover and uh, a meaningful one and uh, a time of freedom, true freedom, freedom not only from uh, freedom from uh, from all of the, the the Egypts of our world, but Mitzrayim means Mitzar Garim means the limitations, and what we're doing is at the Seder is we are saying that today we are free from all limitations. And I think it very much connects to our class. And I think it's a great message that we could share that it's, you know, we wonder why we have to continue telling the story over and over again. We tell the story because in every generation, 
there are those things that limit us, and we have unlimited potential. So L'chaim, a beautiful happy birthday. Hi, Lola. <laughs> Passover is always up for Easter, I believe. That's right. <laughs> and uh, we shall uh, reconvene after Passover. Great. Have a good day. Have a good Seder. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Appreciate it. Feel free to email, email, me, email me with any desires for blessings. Yes. I'll phone them in immediately. Phone <laughs> okay. in your uh, blessings. Phone in the blessings. <laughs> hey, mom, are you mom? Are you going to stay for um, Talmud since it's my birthday? Did yes. you hear how I did that, everybody? Oh, yeah. the guilt. <laughs> the Hanukkah guilt. Yes. Okay. Yes. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.